<coughs> Damn, bless you. Yeah, that was... Oof. All right. Welcome to the Dead Format, episode 17. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Credence Clearwater Revival fan, Tom Smiley. And we're here to talk about Legacy. Everybody should be a CCR fan. And we might end up talking about a little bit of Modern, because I played Modern this weekend. But mostly Legacy tonight. So are you really a CCR fan, or is this just like a joke? I I don't know how much (laughs) of a fan I actually am. But I feel like Bad Moon Rising is a badass song. That's all we have to say about that. Are you actually a fan of any music? Like, I don't know even, like, what your genre is. I am. I don't really want to get into it, but I, I am a music fan. I don't now really I feel like you're into it. some really divisive shit. Like, what's your thing? Like, Rammstein or something? No, although I did my first concert. I saw Ramstein in <laughs> Worcester. It was the Family Values Tour. So it was... <laughs> Ice Cube, Corn, Limp Biscuit, Ramstein, and one other act that I actually can't remember. Yeah, that sounds intense. Mine was Sugar Ray. Okay. Maybe we want to cut that from the podcast. Yeah, it was with Incubus, so it's a saving grace, I guess. Yeah, one of my one of my favorite shows that I ever saw was Incubus opening up for three eleven. And Dude, that was the that was the show, same one. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, 311 played the Blue album yep. straight through. And even though that's not my favorite album from them, that was that was an absolutely legendary show. I'm a huge 311 fan. And Incubus went way harder than I thought. Like, you think about Drive and stuff like that that they did later, like Make Yourself and, I don't know, just this sort of poppier stuff. It was still cool, but they went hard on, like, Science and Fungus Among Us. Like, I didn't know that stuff until I saw them. Yep. It was pretty uh, cool. Their their earlier stuff was great, and a lot of bands ended up trying to rip off their sort of melodic move after those albums, but we're here to talk about Legacy, not <laughs> late 90s, early 2000s alternative music, which we could probably spend another hour talking about. And not the reserve list, right? Well, okay, so I was super excited on, one, the amount of actual... Engagement? Not just engagement, but productive engagement. Not people just dumping on each other all over Twitter and sending messages, I completely don't agree with you, exclamation point, exclamation point. But people with very thoughtful opinions and people who are really expressing the fact that we had a pretty good argument that they'd never thought about before. So lucky you, you got to throw the grenade and not be in the Facebook group. I saw a little more hate, I think, than you did. Although, I got to be honest, nobody really went hard. People said they disagreed with us, but I feel like everybody was really reasonable. No really inflammatory accusations against us. It was, uh, it was honestly, it was, it was pretty even-handed. There was some really uh, interesting 
I think Sujatime is his name, dug up some statistics about like how modern GP attendance exploded after the modern master sets came out, which kind of supports our argument. That was really cool of him to, to do that digging. And there were just some other people who I didn't really know, but had some interesting points, some of which I agreed. I think we're going to go into it at a later date with uh, some people who took us up on our offer. Yeah, Pat and Jerry from Leaving a Legacy were really excited to fight the other side of that battle. And Nate from Eternal Dirtles expressed interest as well. So we had a lot of people reach out and we are going to put together a special show at some point in the future as soon as we get our schedules worked out. We also received uh, a really sick email from a Swedish old school player uh, named Robin who is apparently an economist and agreed with a lot of what we said. Honestly, I feel like what we didn't agree on or what he thought we didn't agree on was stuff that we didn't articulate clearly enough because it seemed like he was pretty much lockstep with what we've been saying to each other for the past two years. Yeah, and I was taken aback by how well-written and thoughtful this email was. It cracks me up all the time. You see it in the old school group, like the Swedish people. They'll post these like beautiful, eloquent, grammatically correct paragraphs. And then they'll be like, pardon my bad English. And then the people like the Americans are just like, blah, blah. You know, they don't know what then and then is there and there all goofy. And these people who are non-native speakers apologizing for their English always fucking nail it. So that's that's hilarious always. 100%. But yeah, it was a beautifully written email. Thank you very much for that, Robin. And thank you for the kind words about the podcast. And thank you to everyone else who just fuels our righteous indignation on this topic. That's a very beautiful or very eloquent way of putting that in. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. So during the podcast that got cut off two weeks ago, the short one, we had gone through the deck dump and the challenge and the star city that week. And we were sort of like meandering through the list. Like, Oh, first place was miracles. Second place was burn, blah, 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 blah. And we kind of decided after that, we had this little powwow. We were going to, instead of reading down the deck lists, just highlight one deck that stood out to each of us from the big events that happened. You know, if it's a big, big event, like a Grand Prix, we'll dive more into it. But just like the Legacy Challenge, the deck dump, really just highlight one list a piece and to get deeper into that. So we're going to try that out for a while. So let's let's start off with the challenge and see what you pulled from the lists that were posted from this week. Okay, so this week's challenge had a lot of chalk. There was the dredge deck is really shown up not the manalist dredge but the the traditional dredge list has really come back in vogue the past two weeks i believe uh two weeks ago orem won and then last week orem won again or one of those might have been a second and a first but really dredge has just been taking off i've seen it a lot online the past two weeks and it seems like a lot of people are testing it maybe for eternal weekend and that deck, along with Miracles, were littering the top eight and the top 16. One thing that really stood out to me, though, 14th place, we've got Koala 40 playing Grixis Delver. And this is a pretty typical Grixis Delver list with like four Delvers, two Gurmags, 
two true names and two young pyromancers. So a pretty traditional threat uh, lineup in the post-death right world. And two bitter blossoms, I should add. But one thing that makes this deck unique that I've started to see now is two goblin crater makers in the main deck. And I think this is genius personally because there's this problem, and I've had it in Rug Delver as well, and in these blue red Delver decks that I'm building right now. Like in blue red Delver, you really don't want to be playing a burn spell that doesn't go face, right? You want to be playing chain lightnings and lightning bolts, but then. What's your out to a resolved chalice? Like if somebody just slams, you know, game one chalice on you, you don't have like Colagon's command, like a uh, Grixis control deck would have. So you're not going to play like, you know, something like Ancient Grudge main. So you think about cards like a braid, but really a braid is such a, such a clunky card to put in a blue red deck. Crater Maker fills that spot so much better because it's just a bear when you need it to be a bear. And it also does the job that a braid does of killing a Magus of the Moon if somebody drops that on you early. Or even just like a removal spell for, you know, any creature that you need. It fills that a braid role not as effectively as a braid. Not as efficiently, I should say, but usually as effectively. And just being able to get out of Chalice, have, have an out to Chalice in your main deck, I feel like this is real innovation and I like it a lot. I also like that. When I originally looked through the lists i just sort of saw grixis delver and didn't look too deeply into it but having crater maker function in that role being able to trim on other sorts of removal and still keeping your creature count high enough to be able to close out the game makes it something that i really want to take a look at further and i like what this person is doing yeah, I really didn't see that. I didn't put one and one together on that. When we saw the card, I thought it was probably just for goblins, maybe like uh, in a moon stompy deck or something like that. I didn't think about its application in like Grixis or Blue Red or even Rug, but this seems great to me. I- I'm really excited to try this out. I absolutely agree. And to touch on your point about how the challenge was kind of like littered with Miracles and Dredge and Grixis. I was at the TJ's 10K event over the weekend, and the tables that I saw for the Legacy side event, I think there were 23 people. It was a ton of Dredge and Reanimator and Miracles and Grixis. So we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. Awesome. So what's your deck from the challenge? My deck from the challenge is actually the 8th place list. Kind of going back to a Deathrite Shamanless four-color control. It's basically the exact same shell as Pile used to be. Running an extra land, Abrupt Decays, Leovolds, the whole package of removal and cantrips. And really just replacing the Deathrite Shaman with... It's not really a one-for-one, it's like... One extra Colagon's Command, one extra Lightning Bolt, one extra Land, and one extra Discard Spell. Yeah, and keeping the mana base together enough to be able to handle this. With the printing of Assassin's Trophy, I had a few people send me lists that were very similar to this, only instead of the Abrupt Decay, we're playing Assassin's Trophy. My modern, usual playing teammate, Mike Rapp, caught up with me this weekend and actually showed me the list that he was playing in Legacy, and it 
was this shell only with Assassin's Trophy in the Abrupt Decay slot. And the fact that he said that in his testing he was able to keep his mana together meant that this this archetype really does have some more exploring to do. That Grixis Control shell can probably add either Abrupt Decay or Assassin's Trophy and Leovold back in the mix. And again, we're really looking for what Leovold shell is going to break out, and this could be it. Yeah, I feel like this deck... The, the eighth place deck probably is pretty good in the Grixis mirror, like not getting wastelanded. Probably equally weak to back to basics. But the list that you showed me with Assassin's Trophy, I was trying to think about how that broke down in the matchups you typically see. Like, you know, Assassin's Trophy versus Abrupt Decay. You can tag Jace, you can tag Gurmag Angler. That's pretty much all you're seeing right now of the things you want to, you, you need to be able to tag. So I'm not sure that I don't like Abrupt Decay more, being able to hit Chalice without giving them a land, being able to hit like a Delver, you know, just a traditional traditional removal spell role. But also like the enchantments that we talk about so much, like Sylvan Library, Back to Basics, Blood Moon, Search for Iscanta. All those things without actually just giving your opponent a two-for-one and also being uncounterable. I'm not really sold that that I would want to be on. I think the list you showed me was three Assassin's Trophies. I think I would want to start like this with like two Abrupt Decays and potentially an, an Assassin's Trophy, but that's just my thoughts on it. Yeah, I think that obviously Assassin's Trophy is more flexible. And if you're worried about giving your opponent an extra land, I think it's kind of mitigated by the number of two-for-ones that are in this deck already. And the added flexibility would probably make me start with Assassin's Trophy, and then if it ended up being too much of a downside in giving your opponent the land, then I would switch back to a Decay. But what I really love in this deck is the fact that your... You're playing two Sylvan Library in the sideboard, which is absolutely crushing to bring in in some of the control matchups you're going to face. And really, we're seeing a ton of Miracles and Grixis Control. And Miracles isn't going to be bringing in Disenchants to fight your Baleful Strixes. This is not what their plan is. And having Sylvan Library as a, as a huge engine just makes me absolutely love the build of this deck. Yeah, I do like that a lot. And one thing that I didn't say about Assassin's Trophy that I wanted to bring up is it does tag Beseju, which has typically been a problem for this deck. Not that we're seeing that much Sneak and Show anymore, but you're a non-Wasteland deck that's trying to beat Sneak and Show on the stack. So being able to hit lands is definitely worth something. One of the reasons why this deck is kind of well-positioned is we're not, we're not really seeing the push-through of combo. We're seeing Death Shadow keep that in check at least in the online metagame and in the 1K that I was walking through the tables to see sort of the same idea that the Grixis decks were keeping combo down. Yeah, that makes sense. And this deck, this challenge deck, has three hymns, three Inquisitions, and a Thoughtseize, so that's pretty brutal for combo. Along with Snapcaster Mage. And even though you don't have a Mana Dork to ramp in to a super early Leovold... After clearing the way with a with a one mana discard spell or a hymn, playing a Leovold 
into your combo opponent really makes them hard to sculpt and shape their hand to where they can push through your counter spells that are in the main deck and coming out of the sideboard. This person also has a Tarmogoyf in their sideboard, which is something you almost never see, which is cool. Yeah, especially at a one-of out of the sideboard. I think that Tarmogoyf stock is kind of really down, just because of how prevalent Baleful Strix is in the metagame. But in the matchups where you really just want a clock, where you don't have to worry about removal, and you don't have to worry about Strix, then Tarmogoyf really does put a put quite the clock on. So oh, I can, yeah. I can pull, see I can see it having its spot in the sideboard. Just pull four strix right out. You know, you need to have some sort of threat density against like storm decks or other combo decks you're facing. So bring in one goif. It's not ideal. You'd rather have a couple pyromancers, really, but it I think that works pretty well. I agree. Alright, so you want to move over to the uh the deck dump? Yeah, I, I think the deck dump was way less exciting than the other stuff that we're going to be talking about i really kind of found it a struggle to to find what i wanted to talk about in this dump it's just kind of boring well what did you find well i found the the psi list and this list is not new the antiquities war versions were popping up in 5-0 lists leading up to the Pro Tour. And this is just a mono blue or mono blue splash black only for surgical extraction artifact combo deck. And it can play the grindstone painter's servant combo along with just having a bunch of two-for-ones with trinket mage and sigh and the antiquities war to dig and act as a closing mechanism for the deck so it has early mana advantage with all of the moxes that it's playing it has an engine in sigh and it has the combo kill with painter's grindstone to where if you try to attack the value plan and you end up over committing your mana to dealing with that then you can get comboed out and if you try to keep your mana open to fight the combo, then you can just get ground out by Psy and Trinket Mages. So I've not played this deck, but out of all of the ones that I saw in the deck dump, this would be the one that I would be most likely excited to play because it is so different than a lot of the other decks that we're seeing come out. And actually, you're not going to talk about the Eldrazi list, are you? No, not at all. But can we talk about the Silas for another second? Yeah, yeah. So looking at this deck, the first thing I thought was it would be a Chalice deck, right? But it's not. It has this Trinket Mage package with all these ones. Do you think that this might just be better off? Or I guess you have Grindstones. You can't really be a Chalice deck, so. Yeah, it's tough to play Chalice without Goblin Welder. And I know that sounds really weird, but generally, you can play Cavern and Welder and be able to get your Grindstone into play if you play an early Chalice. So you can sort of negate the effects of your combo piece being turned off by your Chalice. But this deck really just doesn't seem to need it. It has a critical mass of 
artifacts and enchantments and creatures that need to be dealt with because Psy and the Antiquities War, in addition to Servant Grindstone, just can win the game on the spot. Yeah, I gotcha. I like that. I still wonder if there's like a chalice transmute artifact build out there, but I, I can see where this person's coming from. Yeah, something like a Teleria West tutor package, maybe. That would be cool, yep. So what was that uh Eldrazi thing you were talking about? Well, right below this list, the Atog Lord had a five O. Do you know who the Atog Lord is? It's our buddy Dr. Rich Shea. Dr. Rich Shea. That's that's the reason why I wanted to talk about it. I went to go play in that, that TJ's tournament like I talked about earlier. And I brought a backup legacy deck in, in case the modern main event didn't go my way for the first few rounds. And I actually brought Eldrazi. I thought that the Eldra the big Eldrazi deck was well positioned. And I wanted to give it a try in paper. Even though... Earlier, when I ran it through two leagues, I said that I would never, ever pick that deck up again, and I I hated playing it. I sleeved it up, and I was ready to bring it and play it in an event. So you didn't end up playing any games with it, though, because the modern event went pretty well for you? Is that true? Yeah, I I sort of went on another run, and I lost my, I lost my potential winning in in the second to last round. My breakers were going to be tight depending on whether or not I could draw in. And I was 13th going into the last round with a loss in the round before. And I decided to draw with my opponent. So we both ended up cashing the 10k. So my my end performance was 5-2-1. But that could have gone either way with the last round. I just decided to lock up money. Gotcha. I did get to Manitive a Teferi, which was the most savage play that I have made in Magic. Almost, well, actually, no, it's not. I've made some pretty savage plays, but that that ranks up there. It wasn't it wasn't eight for oneing Seth Manfield in <laughs> round twelve of GP when we were eleven and one, but it was close. It was close. Was it better than stifling Joe Lissette in the SCG? Okay, no, because the SCG, the, the <laughs> stage was a little bit bigger. But I feel like the Manitive is much more much more of a dagger's play than the Stifle. Because you can see the Stifle coming as soon as somebody responds to you cracking your fetch land. Nobody ever sees Manitive coming unless you're playing cube. Dude, Manitive is beautiful. Just play the one of. So you didn't see much spice in this deck dump. And I will admit that Compared to some deck dumps in the past, this one has been a little shorter and a little less spicy, in my opinion, as well. But there was a list here. I was scrolling down to try to find which one I was going to talk about. I want you to do this right now. Control F. R I S K space. Oh, fuck you. Risk factor, risk factor in the blue red Delver deck. It's there. Shiro Tsuki. 5-0, 4 Delver of Secrets, 4 Swift Spear, 4 Storm Chaser, 4 Chain Lightning, 4 Ponder, 4 Preordain, so we're going Quad Laser here, 4 Brainstorm, 4 Days, 4 Force, 4 Lightning Bolt, 3 Risk Factor. Fucking send it in. I love it. So, I talked to you, I played in the challenge uh, a week ago now, 
So uh, that would have been eight days ago now. How did that go? It went pretty shitty. I went 4-3, but I didn't have time to submit my blue-red deck to Mana Traders, so I ended up just having to play Rogue again. And the blue-red deck that I had, basically, if you swap the four Storm Chasers in this deck for two Bedlam Revelers and two Young Pyromancers, change the four Preordains into four Thought Scours, and then change the risk factor. There's three risk factors that Shiro's playing. I was playing two with a Fire Blast. That was the deck that I was going to register. And honestly, it would, it would have been kind of irresponsible to just bring into a challenge because I haven't played any leagues with it yet. I've just been theory crafting on this, and I just really want to do it. And this is so awesome to see someone else trying this and to 5-0 with it. It just makes me so fucking happy. Because I took a lot of shit for that card. I think an undue amount of shit from, I don't want to say co-hosts, but certain co-hosts of mine. Yep, I gave you a lot of shit because that, that card, it's still shit. And, in, um, are your shits worth $8? I mean, it depends on what I eat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, you, you still have to sell me on this card. It's It's not good. And I'm not going to play it. I am absolutely going to play it. I've been really slacking. I've been loving this draft format. I've been just drafting whenever I have free time. Haven't been playing as many leagues as I should in Legacy. Haven't been taking advantage of my Mana Traders account as much as I should be. So I'm going to be on that this week, no doubt. I got nothing to do for the rest of the week, basically. So I'll definitely be grinding some leagues. Yeah, just tell me how it works out. Because obviously I could be wrong. And I'm just blowing smoke in saying that the card sucks, because obviously I've never played it in Blue Red Delver. But it just seems to me that it's really not impactful enough for a three-mana spell when you're running a deck with 17 land. And if I was going to play Blue Red Delver, I would probably be more likely to play Burn. I kept, when I was sketching out my list, I kept running into that problem too, because you go in these strange directions like... Oh, I can incentivize, you know, I could play Goblin Guide instead of Swift Spear, and then I could play Black Vice, and then pretty soon you don't have enough blue cards, and then, you know, your count's not high for your Delver, so you're just playing Burn. A lot of these blue-red decks that I built, I would make, like, one switch, and then I'd just be incentivized to keep down the path to end up on a Burn deck. Yeah, so and... I definitely saw, understand that. We saw one Burn deck in the top eight of the challenge, which really hadn't shown up in the challenges at all and there were two burn decks in the top eight of the tj's event oh i didn't know that interesting yes i think that we we talked about this like a month ago and usually i have a pretty good read on like how things are changing in the direction that it's going and i'm i'm definitely off in my timing sometimes but burn seems like a pretty good way to fight a lot of the top decks that we're seeing right now. And I think that the blue-red deck just opens itself up to more interaction in the main deck. Like, this deck is much weaker against Baleful Strix, and in just playing all of the cantrips in order to find your burn spells, you could just have more burn spells. And obviously, being able to play Days and Force of Will is a huge benefit. 
But if you're really just playing a worse version of Burn, why not why not just go all in and play Burn? Yeah, that's a good question, and I'm not gonna sit here and say that I know that Blue Red Delver is better than Burn for any reason. I mean, this deck, you know, you're not maining any spell pierces or fluster storms or anything. So yeah, you have force of will, but what's that really worth? It's worth in the challenge in the excuse me in the chalice matchup. But you know, and sometimes it'll snag a unprotected sneak attack or you know show and tell something like that. But it's not like you're you're good versus ant or something like that with the counter suite that you have in this deck. So I can totally understand where you're coming from. And I I definitely would not be surprised if Burn was just the better call right now. All right, so was the only thing that we saw in that deck that we wanted to talk about the risk factor? Yes, absolutely. Okay, I got you. Points, point taken. Put it up, chalk it up. Yep, you got you got one. I wanted to apologize for, I guess, our conversation about Ryan's idea for abolishing the reserve list of power creeping our way out of the reserve list. When I re-listened to the episode, we did kind of jump from Power Creep, Yu-Gi-Oh, One Mana 2020s pretty quickly. And I feel like we might have shortcut it or ended up cutting out some of what we talked about in between there. But basically, they Power Creep the creatures since uh, the time that the reserve list was instated. And if the spells were to be dialed up to equal the power level of the old reserve list spells of the classic like time walks and ancestral recalls. The point that you were shortcutting is that the creatures would also need to be dialed up in accordance with that. Yeah. And it was kind of a hyperbolic statement. Obviously one mana 2020s are not a direct result of power creep. It was more of a statement of, like you said, the general trend that would have to happen eventually if you crept your way out set by set trying to make older cards not as powerful over a 25-year period. Yeah, and all these people who engaged me about these specific points, I feel like we won a lot of them over, to be honest, which is incredible to like change someone's mind on the internet. is fucking unheard of, right? But Never happened. A lot of these people were like, yeah, you know, I can kind of see where you're coming from. Or, you know, they would make a counter argument. And a lot of times they come from the point of what's best for legacy. And we're just like, what's best for legacy is that the game survives, you know? We don't actually care about what's best for a legacy tournament four weeks from now, you know? And I feel like once people wrap their head around that part of it, I think we got some converts. I, I would agree with you, but we want to hold all of the rest of the reserve list talk until until we do that special episode. So we have some listener questions for today because I actually used the social media and people responded. It was great. Yeah, I didn't catch these, man. All right. So Pat Uglo from Leaving a Legacy Fame wants to know, he wants to know something. I got to find it. He first wants to know where we think Death Shadow and Blue Red Delver rank in Legacy. And then he has a follow-up question after that. So I think that Blue Red Delver can definitely win an event, or at least top eight in an event, I should say. 
and we kind of just touched on this. I'm not sure that it's better than Burn at all. I'm definitely not willing to make that statement. I haven't played, you know, any games with it. I've just been sketching out a lot of lists. And it does trouble me that I keep thinking this might just be a worse Burn deck. But, It just seems to me like it is a Burn deck that's worse to Baleful Strix. Precisely, yep. And without, without like a an Eidolon of the Great Revel. And a lot of these burn decks I played against online, I, I didn't look at the TJ's list or anything, so I don't know if this is typical, but you're seeing a lot of Black Vice too. And it might be a post-board thing, I don't know, but the combination of Goblin Guide, Eidolon of the Great Revel, and Black Vice, it's this really tough triangle that you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, trying to get out of. And a lot of times I'm finding that that's actually enough to get them over the line against me. So I haven't seen any deck lists that have Black Vice. Maybe they're sideboard. Maybe I'm just not up on the new tech. Maybe you've just been playing a little too much old school. But <laughs> I can I can see how the combination of those cards is really hard to work against. But I feel like blue-red has potential but the right build hasn't been found yet and i'm leaning if i was to play in the tournament tomorrow and i had the choice of blue red or burn i would probably play burn and i will add that the changes that i was recommending versus the deck that we saw the deck that we saw in the deck dump had swift spears delvers and storm chaser mages and i'd cut the storm chaser mages entirely for uh, Young Pyromancer and Bedlam Reveler, which I think are better threats against Baleful Strix. Reveler is still not great, but it's better than Storm Chaser Mage. And I really like Young Pyromancer against Baleful Strix, obviously. I agree. And my thoughts on Death Shadow are that it is the absolute combo killer, except for Storm. Or specifically Ant. I feel like Ant has enough tools to push its way around it. And Dredge. And I think that Death Shadow is keeping down the other combo decks. But it itself is being kept down heavily by Grixis Control and Miracles. And those are really the top two decks that you're seeing in the format right now. So I don't think that Shadow is something that I would be willing to take to an event with the amount of Miracles that's running around. Fighting through Swords and Snapcaster and Terminus and not being able to effectively target their hand with Discard because of the numbers of Knowledge and Predict, even in the same lists, they just have way too many tools to draw themselves out of whatever targeted Discard you have and way way too resilient of a removal package for you to target. Yeah, I can see that. And if you were playing, is Eternal Weekend this weekend? Sorry for the dumb fucking question. Is it this weekend or next weekend? I think it's next weekend because it's not Halloween weekend. Halloween weekend is coming up, right? So I think it's the first weekend of November. Okay. I was going to say, if you were forced to run Blue Black Delver at Eternal Weekend, how many hymns would you run and what graveyard hate would you run? I mean, if I was forced to force to because I, I wouldn't like i would choose to not play yeah no i have a gun to your head in this scenario uh i 
I would play some number of surgical for sure, but I think that I would kind of lean on Spellbomb because I feel like you need something to nuke the entire graveyard because Dredge is going to be making a big appearance. I, I'm not sure that I would play the hymns in the main deck. I would definitely play at least three in the sideboard. I'm not quite sure how my list would get hammered out, but you you need to kind of be lean in the main deck, and there aren't really a lot of flex spots if you want to have removal in your main deck. So maybe you could try to work some build that cuts removal slots and puts hymns into the main, but I wouldn't be super comfortable or confident running that deck at EW. Yeah, I feel you. And I, I would feel the exact same way, but I was just wondering if you're going to go towards Leyline of the Void or not. No, I think I feel like Leyline is great in the decks that are not going to be able to cast it. And, I mean, I feel like with the cantrips, the cantrip package that Death Shadow has, it's better to have a graveyard hate that you can find and cast rather than having to mulligan to it. And I feel like Spellbomb is good enough to stop Dredge, especially with your clock that you have. You're not giving Dredge a ton of time to set up, and a well-timed Spellbomb can take care of things where a Leyline might not get you there if you don't draw it. I honestly think I might be on Tormod's Crypt over Spellbomb because of Black Red, right? I'm not sure... Like, if they have a uh, Chancellor revealed... I'm not sure the spell bomb is really fast enough to. I mean, if you're on the play, right, it it can definitely get there. But well, I think you're I'll... you're also playing surgical. I definitely said that I would play some number of surgical, and you have to against black red. Yeah, but for sure. I I can't see playing Leyline of the Void and Death Shadow. I don't think I would either, but I think I might be on like two surgical, one crypt, or something like that. I don't know, man. The the number of dredge decks is really scaring me. Yeah, but, I mean, the number of dredge decks that we're seeing online now is going to directly influence the metagame for Eternal Weekend, and people are going to be prepared for it. If you've been looking at the results over the course of the last month, you saw dredge emerge and continue to perform at a high rate, so you're not going to show up to Eternal Weekend without answers to dredge. And Dredge is one of those cyclical decks that, like, as soon as it starts to do well enough, people remember to bring the graveyard hate that they need to. And I would be more likely to choose Black Red Reanimator for Eternal Weekend because people are going to have to split their graveyard hate now between Surgical and Spellbomb or Leyline. So you're relying on herd mentality to get past the dredge decks? Yeah, well, I mean, black black red reanimator just crushes dredge, right? Like dredge just doesn't win. Yeah, you're probably right about that. But the herd mentality of the shifting of graveyard hate to something that's not as targeted would lead to people playing less surgicals because you're not going to still play three surgical extraction. If you're bringing in a spell bomb and a crypt or two spell bombs, right? Yeah, I, I feel you. So dredge rising, which means less surgicals, which means black red gets better. 
But you could also say that Death Shadow is being held down so Combo can make another return. And Black Red is a, a very powerful way of doing that. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a Black Red Reanimator deck in the top eight of Eternal Weekend. So if you had to pick a deck right this moment, do you think you'd be picking Black Red or... I mean, you brought Eldrazi to TJ's. Is that something you're seriously considering? Uh, I think that Eternal Weekend is going to have a ton of miracles, and Eldrazi is a very good way of fighting that. So I, if I was going to make a call right now to bring to Eternal Weekend, Black Red and Big Eldrazi would be on my list for sure. Is Big Eldrazi really a great way to fight Miracles? I don't know the answer to that. I haven't played the matchup. And I just think about, like, your creatures dodging Fatal Push and Lightning Bolt and such, but being weak to the card Back to Basics. So I mean, you're definitely weak to Back to Basics. Your only out main deck is Ulamog. But Ulamog is a pretty good, Ulamog is a pretty good out, right? Yeah, all is dust too. But, I mean, if they slam it, if you slam, like, a... Uh, I don't know, like a Thought Not Seer or whatever before you play out your Grim Monolith. I think that you could probably get cut off being able to have Ulamog mana for quite a while. Well, if you're Thought Knotting them, then you're probably snagging the Back to Basics, right? That's a great point, yep. I mean, I feel like it is not, it is not on Miracle's side, for sure. Okay. I mean, you're probably right. That's the assumption that I've been working under. I'm just trying to play out these matchups. Like, uh, I don't know. I, I still, in my mind, think of the smaller Eldrazi deck being better against Miracles for whatever reason. Well, I think they're both probably fine. I think the bigger Eldrazi deck and even the 12 post variants that have been seeing a little bit of popularity boost recently are better I think the bigger you go against Miracles, the better off you are. Yeah. All right, man. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about how great of a time I had at the TJ's event this weekend. There have been very few times where I've, like, showed up to a tournament recently and just had an amazing time just from the people that I got to hang out with. And this weekend at TJ's was outstanding. I had a bunch of people come up to me to talk to me about the cast and say that they listened and say that they were really enjoying the content that we were putting out. I talked to Blake Sanford and she won the tournament with Tom Hep's Hexsteps deck, actually beating two burn decks in the top eight. And one other deck that I'm not sure of what she played. But congratulations to her. I saw Josh Sissio playing Miracles. And a few other Legacy players that I just got to see between rounds. And then a bunch of the judge staff and people who I was playing Modern with. I just I had a great time. And it was the most fun that I've had playing Magic in, in quite a while. Dude, that's awesome. I did had no idea that Blake won. So that's that's great to hear. Yep. I had a list of all the people that I wanted to shout out. I got to hang out with Elliot Raff, one of the better judges in the area, and I actually got to see him play got to see him play Amulet Titan. And the highlight of that was watching him play a colony heart or colony garden. 
and put his own token into play. That was nice to see. Keith Rong was there at the event. I believe he finished in the top eight of the 10K, and he had some really good things to say about the cast. Sean Calvo was judging the Legacy 1K, and I got to talk to him quite a bit as we were just sort of watching the tables. Mike Rapp, John Orr, and Zach Turgeon were sort of with me between rounds, and just seeing people like that that play a ton of Legacy that you can bounce ideas off of for any format because they play way more Magic than me was uh, was really helpful. They even offered to loan me a Legacy deck if I did not want to play Eldrazi in the 1K, but things things ended up going well enough for me in Modern. Yeah, I can see both those those players taking personal offense to you playing Eldrazi. Yep, completely. That makes me really sad I couldn't make it, man, because that sounds like a great time. It was a great time, and absolute poops to our friend Barra, who was so excited and posting about showing up to play in that Legacy event. And then no Barra. We don't know what happened to him. Fuck, is he okay? I mean, this is scaring me, man. Well, hold on. Usually, if he has if he has a an ability to show up to a tournament and play some plateau, he's there. Let me let me make sure he's okay that he's checked in. <laughs> yeah, so that that actually Facebook. doesn't make me feel better. That makes me feel worse. He posted yesterday. <laughs> was it under duress or was it like a, a post of his own free will? It's it seems like a post of his own free will. He just finished Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. <laughs> And honestly, he really liked it. So I think that he's okay. I think maybe he just had some he had some issues with getting to the tournament. But I was I was looking forward to seeing him, and then he didn't show up. <laughs> All right, we got we got another listener question too. This is from this is from Twitter. Turn one spooky elf, who is actually turn one glistener elf, but spooky. But spooky. It's Halloween asked right now what are the the rising decks in legacy what do we see sort of gaining steam so your answer was bad moon well bad moon's rising right like i really wanted to make a bad moon pun but yours your answer was much better than mine uh i don't even think so my answer was high tide i think we came in like within eight seconds of each other according to twitter with our awful fucking puns that are just embarrassing to even be talking about right now obviously dredge was rising a couple weeks ago if you were on that dredge boat you're were probably pretty happy you probably took advantage of the metagame for a while right now i think we both feel it might not be the best place to go i think that fuck i don't want to say burn man because i wouldn't play burn so i feel like i'm being disingenuous to say that i would show up with burn if i felt like it was the best positioned i would do it i i have played hexproof in modern i am not i am not above playing any deck yeah i don't know i think i might be above playing burn snob no no i don't know man fuck i don't want i I take that back I would I would play blue red. I mean, I got to be honest. I think that burn is rising, and for that reason, I play blue red. But, All right, I think that's a good answer. Yeah. 
So we had another tweet come in just before the bell from Adam Wincy and three parts. One, what happened to Turbo Depths? Two, is Goblin Warboss enough to bring Moon Stompy back? And three, with the rise of Assassin's Trophy and people playing more basics, is the time of Blood Moon on the wane? And... I think those last two questions, the Goblin Warboss question and the Assassin's Trophy question, are really one of the reasons why we're not seeing a lot of Moon Stompy. People are playing a lot of basics, and if Miracles is going to be one of the top-filling decks in the meta, it's really tough to want to slam a Blood Moon or a Magus of the Moon. So I think that... I would be hesitant to pick up the Moon Stompy deck for a while until you start to see some short sort of shift away from Miracles. And really, I guess this all kind of ties together. Turbo Depths gets wrecked by Miracles. And I think that that's... There are just three questions that the answer is they're being held down by Miracles. Do you agree? Kind of, yeah. And there was, on the, the Lost episode, I probably had this 10-minute thing about Legion Warboss and the math with Goblin Rabblemaster, what hands you can keep playing Moon Stompy based on having Rabblemaster, like turn 2 Rabblemaster, turn 3 Warboss, or vice versa, and how much I think it helps that deck in the threat spot. And I think that the deck... Not in this, you know, not forget about the meta for a second, but just the deck, like its threat package. It's the strongest 60 cards that I think it can be with Warboss and Rabblemaster. Just my opinion, but that's what I believe. And that unfortunately, it just doesn't line up right against this meta. But I do think that it's as powerful as it has been. And I forget what the question exactly was from Adam Wincy. I can't see it, but Miracles, yeah, is a very tough matchup. All right, we got one more from Pat. We didn't end up answering this, but I want to sort of close out the cast with it. Where does your cast rank in the top five active legacy podcasts? Self-evaluation is something that's like, that's just so hard to do. I don't want to say... I honestly I don't even know. So what are what are the legacy podcasts that come out on a regular basis? You gotta that, slow your roll. What does active mean? Well, okay. So here's what here's what I sort of think that means. You take a show that's great, like the brainstorm show. You can't put them in this list because you have no idea when they're gonna come up with an episode, right? I think they still belong in the list. I think it's like frequency times quality. Well, so you take a cast like us, right? We come out with an episode every week unless your audio doesn't record. And (sighs) obviously the density of quality content is going to be a little bit less when you're making a podcast every week. Now, if we could save up like the 10 or 15 minutes of amazing stuff and do an episode once a month then our podcast would seem way better. But 
it might not be the best for the listeners because they only get to hear one episode a month, right? So I think that I don't think we include the brainstorm show in this because it might be Christmas by the time we get an episode. So no brainstorm show, no brainstorm show for me. So your number one. So my number one comes from a little bit of nostalgia every Friday morning when I get into my car. No matter what is in my podcast queue, if the game podcast came out, if basically anything, I'm turning on Leaving a Legacy first. Mainly because I want to hear what they talked about so I can just sort of dump on Jerry in the chat that we're in. But I really love the interaction between Pat and Jerry, and I think they do an outstanding job with their cast. So I'm putting I'm putting Leaving a Legacy number one. Yeah, I'm going to be perfectly brutally honest here. I think that the Leaving Legacy was the first Legacy podcast I listened to, my favorite, and I kind of got away from it for, for a few months, and I came back, like, I don't know, maybe six months ago, and I feel like they've really hit a stride, and they're fucking crushing it now. I'm definitely not missing an episode now. I think that they're doing a wonderful job. They've had wonderful guests, so I think that they're pretty fucking obviously number one right now and um i think we're we're clearly number two and then everybody else whoa, doesn't matter whoa 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 <laughs> i'm not ready to go there at all really all right what are your i'm just not a fan of the podcast at all well i mean yeah one of our one of our two hosts never mind <laughs> I was going to start to talk about politics, but we're not going to go there. I, we got, we got, listen, we got across the pond. We've got Stu and uh, Stu, I believe, on the uh, the Legacy Breakfast. We've got even farther across even more ponds. We've got the Salt Mine guys. We've got, let's see, we've got Spike Feed dipping their their toes into Legacy. Construct Basically, criticism. Top Down is. Legacy, Julian's podcast, Eternal Dirtles. No, not e- so Eternal Dirtles and Julian's podcast that he does with co-hosts. Once oh, in a oh, while. Ev- Everyday Eternal, right? Everyday Eternal. Then there's there a, are the Legacies Allure. That's right. I haven't seen an episode from them in a while. There, there's a ton of Legacy content, but what qualifies as active and regular, right? Yeah, I see that's what I'm looking for for like like a laxative but not necessarily a podcast. Okay. Okay. I don't know. Well, man. you you definitely do not need laxatives because you shit all over our podcast <laughs> in that statement. So, I'm just going to put Tusk Talk at number 2 even though I don't know when they're coming out with another episode. If t- if Tusk Talk was around, I would I would consider ranking them above us. Yeah, and uh, everybody else can be third, I guess. They they all get more listens than we do anyway. So us saying that we're we're ranking ourselves higher really doesn't matter because, bro, that's fucking Russian bot traffic, and you know it. Well, I mean, where where can we sign up for these Russian bots? We need a Patreon. So we can afford to buy Russian bots to make us feel better about ourselves. <laughs> now you could do that just by following us on social media and we wouldn't have to pay for Russian bots. And you could turn 
our day around by flooding us with new Twitter followers, regardless of whether or not they're real people. Yeah, just any old NPC will do. I remember when I started, I opened my Twitter account. I was genuinely excited to get a like or a retweet by by a spammer. Like I would look at, <laughs> I would look at who they were, and I'd be like, "This is definitely just a bot," but at least somebody liked my tweet. And I would have like twelve followers, and I would get followed by just like this one hundred percent random European person, and and I still enjoyed it. I I feel like I was supported in my early Twitter days by Russian bots. So shout out to Russian bots. I think my account's from like 2010, and I just had no fucking idea what I was doing on Twitter. I still don't, but I don't know when I actually opened my Twitter account. But the Dead Format Cast account was opened in July of 2018, so you can get at us at Dead Format Cast on Twitter. It's the best way to reach us. And if people want to see you retweet, where can they get in touch with you? At Ian18125. And if people want to dig up seven-year-old tweets that you sent out, how can they find those? You can find them at tsmileymtg. And I'm actually, I'm going to, I'm going to dig back through my Twitter because I know that there isn't anything ridiculously bad, but have you ever had, like, if you looked back at your Facebook and you see like those, those annual, those year, those X years ago posts where like you see the type of music you were listening to or the movies that you were seeing or like what you were saying about the Patriots and you realize that you were just horribly and completely wrong. Like if Facebook was around when Bledsoe got benched for Brady, I am 100% sure that I would have had a raging, scathing Facebook post about how Belichick was wrong in benching Bledsoe and he should be the quarterback in the playoffs. So I'm glad that (laughs) Social media was not around back when I was young and stupid. Now I'm just stupid. Now I got the Benjamin Button effect. Like every time one of those comes up, I'm like, fuck, I was so much cooler seven, eight years ago. Like I was fucking chilling. I was doing all this cool shit. Now I'm just, just fucking doing this podcast. Like, I don't know, man. Yeah. The older, the older you get, the less cool shit you get to do. It's it's a travesty, actually, because when you're older, you have the money to actually do cool shit, but you can't do cool shit because you have a job. Yeah, I, I can't even make excuses like that. Like, you have a kid, you know? I, I don't even know, man. Deadformatcast at gmail.com if you want to email us. I think that's it.